Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us as we continue our Bible studies in the Gospel of Luke. These are family Bible studies. We try to have a strong application. And in our previous episode, which was actually part one entitled Jesus's Teaching on the End Times, I had the whole opening portion of the episode given over to family application and why that a good catechesis that has a living reality of a, of a faith life that understands the end according to Jesus Christ. And Luke 21 is one of those places. So I'm not going to repeat all of the application today, but just by way of kind of reminder, because we're going to come to something very important. There's something now in this part two of this episode, Jesus is teaching on the end times, that Luke 21 has something that the parallel chapters in the Gospels do not have. And we find Matthew 24, Jesus teaches on the end times. Mark 13, Jesus teaches on the end times. And Luke 21, Jesus teaches on the end times. But there's something in Luke not found with the others. Now, what's going on in Luke 21? Jesus is teaching about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. The chapter opens with a widow putting some money as an offering uh, in the temple, and then the disciples spoke on how beautiful the temple was. And then Jesus, in the first half of the chapter, gave a prophecy about the destruction of the temple, which was unthinkable in the Jewish mind. And then the second half of Luke 21, Jesus teaches the end of the world as we know it. And reason I mention as we know it, I think it's a big mistake. It's not the topic of today's show, but it's a big mistake to think that we are going to live up there with the clouds and the sweet by and by for all eternity. That's not the truth. If you read the Bible, there's going to be a new earth with trees, animals, people, extended families, uh, real stuff that um, young people especially need to have to have their proper conception, their proper worldview of the end times. But I mentioned also last time that Pope Benedict, in his uh, two-volume set, Jesus of Nazareth, mentions that this teaching section uh, of the Gospels is perhaps the most difficult passage in all of the Gospels because it, he, Jesus uses very similar descriptions for his prophecy of what will happen in 70 AD to his prophecy about what will happen before he comes again, the second coming at the end of history as we know it. And so we, we ask the question, why are the two fulfillments prophesied in Luke 21 uh, contain almost identical terminology? And as I mentioned from the Navarre Bible, in the Jewish mind, the destruction of Jerusalem coincided with the end of the world, but there's a gap. And you see that gap, and we're going to come up to something very important in Luke, that there's this gap. And Luke is very concerned with the Gentile world, and that gap is going to be the gospel taken to the Gentile world. 
Uh, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today unless there was a gap, so to speak, where the gospel goes out to the Gentile world. And basically, Jesus is using the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, that prophecy of it, to really prophesy the end of the world that precedes his second coming, because the destruction of Jerusalem is a sign or a symbol of what will happen at the end of the age. So, let's get right to the text. I'm going to jump to verse 20, and Jesus says this, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. And this is part of the 70 AD prophecy. It's towards the end of the 70 AD prophecy. Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Those are the Roman armies. And he says, then let those who are in Judea, that's the area surrounding Jerusalem, flee to the mountains. And alas, for those who are with child in those days, for great distress will come and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And so you had the deportation, the dispersion of the Jews in 70 AD. Now, we come to Luke chapter 21 and verse 24. And if I were to pick one verse in all of the Gospels that can really open up that dilemma that Pope Benedict said makes these, uh, these passages about the end time so difficult, if I had to choose one verse, it would be Luke chapter 21 and verse 24. And let's read about it. It says this, they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. This is just the first part of verse 24. That's the 70 AD. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the Gentiles. Uh, The Jews were dispersed Century after century after century, despite prayers, even prayers facing Jerusalem, praying for the restoration, they were led captive among the Gentiles. They were dispersed across the Roman Empire. But the last part of verse 24 says, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, if you're watching the news, If you read the paper, if you surf the internet about whatever is going on in the Middle East, you realize that following the Holocaust after World War II, the Jews, through a United Nations resolution, were returned to the Holy Land in 1948. And even though they were returned to the Holy Land, the section of Jerusalem, okay, they had the nation, but the section of the city of Jerusalem, which held the Old Testament temple, was under foreign control, Muslim control. And then in June of 1967, June of 1967, there was the Six-Day War that went from about June 5th to June 10th, 1967. 
Israel was attacked from all sides, Egypt, Jordan, Syria. They, they kept coming from every direction. And in a very, very, very bold move, Israel fought back and gained air superiority almost immediately. And once they did, they started a fight for their life. Now, let's just put ourselves in their shoes for a moment. Imagine you've just been through the Holocaust. This is living memory, okay? This isn't even, you know, but 20 years after, you know, fleeing Europe after Hitler and the Nazis, and you're, you're now in restored to your land after almost 2,000 years, and now uh, Muslim countries totally surrounding you have a full-scale all-out attack. They are going to commit genocide, just like Hitler tried. And they fought back. They fought back hard. And of course they would. There's, there's a little bit of a difference if you're attacking somebody to attack them because you don't like them, you want them out, or you want their riches or whatever else, their minerals. But boy, if you're fighting for your life and for your family and for the promise that Abraham gave the Jews, they fought back. And remarkably, they got back the city of Jerusalem, the old city. And I highly recommend you go to YouTube and you want a black, you don't want the kind of like the the modern color simulations of this. There is the actual photographs and movies, so to speak, being made as the troops, to their surprise, got into Jerusalem, and these soldiers fighting their way in found themselves at the foot of the Western Wall, the only remaining remnant of the temple that was destroyed in 70 AD. And since 70 AD, according to Luke 21, 24, and according to all history, which we know, Uh, Jerusalem had been trodden down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, am I 100% sure that the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled as a result of that Six-Day War? To be honest, no. I'm just saying personally, I'm about (laughs) 99.3% sure. In other words, This is the most remarkable. What country of the world is dispersed for almost 2,000 years and then has to go through the genocide of the the Nazi genocide, and they find themselves through all of that incredible suffering back into the Holy Land, but they don't have the area where their temple was, according to the Jews, the most holy place on earth, the place where Christ was crucified. So it's obviously a sacred place for Christians as well. And boom, they're attacked. And rather than having them bounced out, they find themselves, which I believe, in fulfillment of Luke 21, verse 24. I don't know if you realize how important this is. See, um, many people particularly scholars, Protestant and Catholic, apologists, even some broadcasters, tend to fuse all of Jesus's end-time teaching and say, oh, there is a prophecy about 70 AD. I'm not denying that. But they say everything 
in these passages refers to 70 AD. But I gave you a quote from John Paul II last time. He was cardinal back when he said it, but basically he was giving a homily on Luke chapter 21, the passage immediately after Luke 21, 24. Okay, his passage started in Luke 21, 25, and he says this is is very much could be what we are living in today, okay? That was hand grenade number one in the theory that the whole thing is merged into a 70 AD perspective. The second hand grenade is Luke 21, 24, because Luke wanted to explain that there's something, um, there's, there's, there's something that comes in the middle that wasn't expected. The Jews expected a Jewish Messiah to save them. And that's why Jesus came. He was a Jew, a Jewish Messiah, and he came to save the Jewish people. But what was sometimes forgotten at the promise to Abraham was that the whole world was going to be blessed through Abraham's seed, ultimately Jesus himself. And so the times of the Gentiles is the period in which the gospel, the message of the Messiah, would go out into all the world. And when that period of history roughly comes to pass when the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And basically, if you want to dig into this further in Romans 11, St. Paul has a picture of an olive tree, and basically there's, there's three steps, the original branches, the Jewish people. But most of them are cut off. They don't believe. And in their place, this kind of wild branch is grafted in. That's the phase two. That's the times of the Gentiles, the Gentile mission. But then a lot of Christians of all types tend to forget this. There's going to be a stage three where the Jewish people are again reunited, grafted back into that stock. So Jew and Gentile, all the world believe in Christ the Messiah. That's the whole plan of redemption. So, what happens after the times of the Gentiles? Well, I told you from Romans 11, we should be praying for, I try to pray for very regularly for the conversion of the Jews, that God would open their eyes. And this is going to be something that God does, and and they will see and believe in the Messiah. But also, they will Uh, experience a coming back to the Messiah as the Gentiles are departing. I don't mean every Gentile, just like in the beginning of the uh, church period, it wasn't all the Jews that didn't believe because, you know, the whole core of the very earliest church was Jewish. And then during the course of St. Paul's ministry, switched to a predominant Gentile uh, makeup. So not all of the Gentiles are going to fall away, but the bulk will in what's called the great apostasy. And apostasy is basically a falling away. The, the word, if you would look at the word meaning in the Greek, it's kind of a preposition away to stand away or fall away. And it's the falling away of the bulk, not everyone, but the bulk of the Gentile world. Now, if you're a parent, this is why prophecy isn't some kind of like esoteric 
uh, whipped cream on the faith, so to speak, okay, if the vast majority of your children or young adults' friends are falling away from traditional Christian morality, traditional Christian belief, from a Christian worldview, and are basically living like pagans, and if everybody's doing it, most young people say, well, everybody's doing it, you follow the crowd. And the social media is like following the crowd on steroids. So how do you teach them that it might not be a wise idea at certain points of history, particularly since June 1967, to go following the Gentile apostasy? Now, to make matters a little worse, and this is just something that gets me very deeply, and um, what can I say? The passage, the key passage describing this Gentile apostasy is found in St. Paul's letter, second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 3 through 12. And in the lectionary for the Catholic Church in the United States, the lectionary cuts off at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and the halfway through verse 3, because the second half starts getting into the man of sin and the great apostasy and the Antichrist, living the world, leaving, leading the world, excuse me, into apostasy. Those who had pleasure in unrighteousness, he's able to hook and lead astray. That is not heard in the Catholic Church in the United States. I don't know why, but... Um, that is a big mistake, and particularly since June 1967. Because, you know, it says uh, right after this, verse 27, it says, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory. And says, now when these things begin to take place, begin to take place, look up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Now, somebody out there is going to say, well, Steve, this sounds very convincing, but, you know, really I've heard so many times that we're not to get really worked up. We're not to get excited. And, and granted, a lot of the TV prophecy experts have sensational teachings that get people all riled up. But, I mean, well, that's, while that might be true, we're not to, supposed to be asleep not to be asleep, but to have a burning reality of these things. Jesus said, well, what do you do in the midst of all this? The end of the chapter, take heed for yourselves. Make sure your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. You might add in there getting high on dope as well. And the cares of his life, that the day come upon you suddenly like a snare, like a trap. For it will come upon all who are on the face of the earth, but watch at all times. Watch and praying always that you could have the strength to escape. This is life in the 2020s. Uh, Jesus was, has plenty of grace who those who hear his teaching and heed his teaching. How are you going to heed his teaching? How are your children going to heed his teaching if they never even hear it? Okay? Now, Somebody might say, okay, well, this is Steve's thing, blah, blah, blah. You know, well, let's go back to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, okay? Section 674. And by the way, if you just, you know, 15 minutes will give you more accurate 
understanding of biblical prophecy than just about anything, because, you know, there are some very popular notions out there. I'm talking about notions in Catholic circles that are contrary to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, You may not know it, so here's what you do. You go to, like, sections 674, 675, and just a few sections right around there, read them several times, and then start noticing the footnotes, because when you read the Catechism, it can be a great interpretation tool for those passages. Okay, let's go to section 674 of the Catechism. It says, the glorious Messiah's coming, this is the second coming, is suspended at every moment of history until his recognition by all Israel, for a hardening has come upon part of Israel in their unbelief toward Jesus. This is what I described in Romans chapter 11. It's only a temporary hardening, okay? The Continuing in the Catechism, the full inclusion of the Jews in the Messiah's salvation in the wake of the full number of Gentiles will enable the people of God to achieve the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I've underlined and I've boldened in my notes Catechism 674, the phrase, in the wake of the full number of Gentiles. There is a footnote after that phrase, and that footnote refers to Luke 21, verse 24. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, I've done a lot of boating in my life while I lived in Florida. I know what a wake is, right? The wake isn't off the bow of the boat looking forward. The wake is behind you. And it's saying, in the wake of the full number of the Gentiles, the time of the Gentiles, there is going to be a very surprising regrafting of the Jewish people into the Messiah's branch into faith. And I can't think of anything as important as what I just shared with you. That's why I pray for the conversion of the Jews regularly. Are we doing this? Are we thinking this? Is this on the deck? Um, Because Luke 21, 24 is talking about something that is yet future as far as the wake of the full number of Gentiles. Sometime after the times of the Gentiles, the Jews will come in. And in a certain sense, I'm going to read the next paragraph of the Catechism in a minute, but I'm just going to just real quickly and real easily paint for you a mental picture of what's going to happen. Two things going on. You're going to have the regathering of the Jews and the apostasy of the Gentiles, and these are ships passing in the night. Section 675 of the Catechism, the one right after quoting Luke 21, 24, says this, before Christ's second coming, okay, the church must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers, and it warns about a persecution, 
citing Luke 21. In a form of a religious deception, offering men an apparent solution to their problems. Let's just say there is nuclear war and a worldwide financial collapse, but the solution at the price of apostasy from the truth. The supreme religious deception is that of the Antichrist, a pseudo-Messiah by which man glorifies himself in the place of God and of his Messiah come in the flesh. And that warning before Christ's second coming, okay, the warning before Christ's second coming is the supreme religious deception, and it's the Antichrist. He'll look and sound and be very logical, and I have a way to unify the world religions, to bring peace, to unify the nations, and to restore financial prosperity to the world. Who can be against that? Okay? But that's the Antichrist. And the footnote to Catechism 675 is footnote number 576. And guess what that is? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. The part of the Holy Scripture that has been zipped out of the lectionary in the United States. So, St. <laughs> Paul says, let no one deceive you, but yet it's pretty easy to be deceived unless you have the advance warning from Jesus. And this is why, in a family Bible study, this is the type of thing our children need to know about. Not to be scared to death, but to be alert and not to be deceived and not to follow the crowd, which is heading towards apostasy, but to follow the Messiah in faithfulness, to walk by faith, realizing what exactly is happening in our world. And Jesus says, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of life. And believe me, I mean, I love living in the United States. I love all our creature comforts and all that kind of stuff and how you can click on your smartphone and get news from anywhere in the world and all this type of thing. But if you get lost in that, that day will come upon you suddenly like a snare, for it will come upon all who dwell upon the face of the earth. Jesus said, watch at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, if you want to learn more about biblical prophecy in addition to faith and family, what you're listening to right now, I have a second broadcast, Luke 21 Radio, named right after this chapter we've been studying. And we have business cards with a quote of John Paul II I mentioned last episode on the reverse side. Just send an email to askthehost at gmail.com and said, send me some Luke 21 cards and some faith and family business cards while I'm at it. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 268 of Faith and Family.